Listeners, I'm really privileged to have uh, Benny Abney here tonight. Benny is one smart guy about the Middle East. In fact, he's actually a really smart guy about a lot of things. Uh, he's a, a friend. I just want everybody to know that because I'm privileged to know him. Briefly, his credits are he's a veteran reporter specializing in foreign affairs. Uh, his writings go back to the 1970s. Uh, he's written for the New York Post. He's written for the New York Times. He's written for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Aretz, which is a leading Israeli newspaper, for those of you who don't know it. Uh, he broadcasts on Israeli radio. And right now he is foreign affairs correspondent for the New York Sun. Benny, thank you very much for joining us. Really want to ask you some questions about what's going on uh, in Israel and with the Palestinians. Benny, thank you for joining us tonight. Obviously, you know, uh, your credits and uh, resume are spectacular. You know, a lot about the Mideast. You've been focused on it for decades. You, you've lived in Israel. You, you know, you read Hebrew, you know what's going on. So there are a lot of things I'd like to ask you um, about, obviously. But before we start, I just want to say, I too have been fascinated by the Mideast and Israel. I first, believe it or not, visited when I was 14 years old. I was like over a half a century ago. So it's been a subject of fascination for me. I have friends there. I have relatives there. Um, I have business interests there. I just have been intrigued by by, by the drama and the and the interesting uh, things that are going on, you know, in the Middle East on a regular on a regular basis. Does never seem to let let me down in terms of uh, intrigue. One of the things that I'm focused on is economic investment. Uh, I, I have investments, and I work with people who are trying to create an economic opportunity for many people in the region. Um, there's a man named Ron Bruder who promotes uh, employment across the entire Arab Mideast. Uh, I, I profiled Ron. He's a, he's a friend. What he does is really interesting to me. Uh, I've been to the West Bank several times. I've met with Palestinians there who are involved in businesses. Um, I, I visited the new city of Palestine and, and interviewed the, the uh, founder of, of, the, of, of, the new, of the new Palestinian city um, on the West Bank. I believe in peace. I believe in economic opportunity. I'd like to see everybody in the region thrive and prosper. So now I see this really interesting dichotomy going on um, where Israel has relationships with um, uh, the UAE, uh, with Morocco, um, and, and other nearby you know, Arab countries, to some extent Jordan, and I, this, this looks like this isolation is, is over, the Abraham Accords. Um, I get an email a week or to invest in all these co-productions and co-deals with the UAE and security and cyber defense between Israel and, and uh, the, uh, the UAE. And yet I see every day the Palestinians you know, are basically where they were you know, 40 years ago. Um, every day there's a riot now in Nabulus. Uh, the, the Jenin is the same sort of like you know, lockdown place that it was when I actually visited it 40 years ago or 35 years ago on land day. I drove with my, my Israeli journalist friend up to, up to Jenin. And you know, I saw the occupation firsthand. It looked, looked almost medieval to me, you know, Israeli soldiers in full battle gear, chasing stone, throwing 12-year-olds. It didn't make any sense then, still doesn't make any sense now. But what's going on, Benny, like with the, the, the Palestinians are so isolated now that nobody cares about them? I mean, there used to be this uniform wall against Israel and all the Arab countries. 
uh, as in solidarity with the Palestinians, including you know as places as far away as Pakistan. And the Greeks used to march in the street worrying about the Palestinians. Now you know there are flights between Morocco and Israel. There are flights every day to the UAE, and the Palestinians are still the Palestinians. Well, I, look, I mean, the problem with the Palestinians is for too long, everybody wanted a Palestinian state, everybody in the world, not only in the Middle East, everywhere in the world, everybody called for the creation of a Palestinian state. And the only ones who didn't seem to really work towards it were, well, the Palestinians. I mean, their leadership has always had problems with state building institutions. And instead of those, they were, you know, mostly talking about how to, you know, about Israel, as you say, the occupation. I mean, there are reasons why Israelis are chasing Palestinians in the West Bank. And that is obviously that, you know, every once in a while, there's a knifing or, or car ramming or, or a suicide bombing in, in Israeli cities. Everybody was saying, for instance, in 2006, as far as, as you probably remember, uh, Israel evacuated uh, Gaza. Yep. Uh, I was there at the time. So was I, Benny. I didn't know that and, you were there. <laughs> and, <laughs> Tell um, your story. Go ahead, please. The story was at the time that um, uh, there was a guy named Wolfenson, yes, a former leader of the World Bank, uh, Australian person who really believed in the idea that once Israel evacuates Gaza, then Gaza could become like a financial, uh, commercial hub. Yeah, the Singapore on the uh, on the, the uh, Mediterranean. The Israelis. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, said were persuaded to leave the uh, uh, hot houses they had for growing potatoes and tulips and stuff like that uh, for the Palestinians, but they wanted money for it because they invested a lot in building them and so on and so forth. Wolfenson went all around the world uh, to raise money for that. And in the end, he was, I think, like million shekel short or whatever. So he put it out of his own pocket. Uh, the minute the Israelis left, uh, the Palestinians burned down those hot houses to the ground, saying that they were a symbol of the occupation. So if you're more interested in uh, the Israeli uh, evil than you are in building the Palestinian economy, you're going to be in trouble. Now, this situation has been going on for many, many years. And the Arabs have supported the Palestinians to the hilt, as did, by the way, the EU, the, EU, the US, sure. so on and so on. And at one point, they started being persuaded that perhaps that Israeli theory that instead of the outside in, um, inside out uh, theory of peace, which meant that there's not going to be a peace with the entire Arab world until Israel uh, makes peace with a Palestinian. There mm -hmm. should be uh, outside in, mm -hmm. which means let's first make peace with the Arab states 
or let the Arab states first make peace with Israel and, and then the Palestinians will be dragged along and finally start building their own state and make peace with Israel. Um, that is, I think, what happened, the reason for what you mentioned before, which is the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords were basically a reversal of the old theory of peace in the Middle East. Rather than thinking about the Palestinians and, and giving the Palestinians a veto over every peace move with any Israel with, with any Arab country between Israel and every Arab country, uh, they said, okay, let's start making peace between Israel and the Arab countries, and then the Palestinians will be dragged along. Whether that will happen, we don't know yet. But we know that, that states in the Gulf, and as you mentioned, Morocco and, and, uh, and Jordan before that and Egypt before that, yes. um, they all were persuaded by the fact that Israel has a lot to offer to the, yes. to the region. That is what you were saying, you know, talking about investment, talking about innovation, talking about also uh, the entire uh, uh, the security st structure of the Middle East. Uh, a lot of those countries are very concerned about Iran. They, yep. they were very impressed by Israel's stance, tough stance on Iran and by Israel's successes in sabotage um, operations inside Iran and so on and so forth. And and they said, okay, these are the guys we want by our by our side. I mean, and the Palestinians, well, uh, we can't wait for them forever. Wow. Okay. So my very brief Gaza story is with my Israeli journalist friend. One week before the official pullout of the Israeli army from Gaza. I drove with him to Nevi Deklim, the extreme southern Gazan uh, Israeli outpost uh, that was already evacuated. And it looked like Orange County. I, I, I never saw anything like it. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was you know, in, in red tile roofs and you know, suburban looking houses, and it was all gone. The Israelis had completely pulled out of this entire town that they had built in, in Gaza. And I thought when it was over, wow, this is really great. Look at all these houses they're going to leave for the Palestinians. Look at all this, these, these, nice, these nice amenities, whatever. And who knew that it would end up, as you say, you know, into a, a hostile state that has done nothing but resist, 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 you know, launch missiles or whatever, and is now, you know, so far behind the rest of the Middle East, you can't even believe it. I mean, when you think and you look at Dubai and the skyline of the UAE, and it looks you know, like Singapore or Beijing or, 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 or Shanghai, excuse me. You know, it's so modern. It's so brand new. I mean, your luxury hotels, yachts, you know, the finest sushi. And then you go and you look at Gaza. You know, they, they don't have running water. The sewers, the, the, the sewage is backed up. The, the unemployment's 40, 50 percent among young people. Everybody's repressed. I mean, it, it doesn't even make any sense that they're the same, the same civilization. Right. Well, you know, so I feel so sorry for them, you know, that, that, they, that they, they're not able to actualize the freedom that they, that they could have, okay, you know, in, 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 in so many ways. So Israel now has like, you know, got all these relationships with, with all these other economic factors and the flights and the investments and the vacations and all this other stuff is, is going on. Does that increase the Palestinian anger? I, 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 there's a, obviously a new, you know, semi-intifada going on, um, yet more, you know, tension in East Jerusalem, more tension in the West Bank. Is that because they feel even more isolated or is that just a result of their own internal corruption and their, their and the 80-year-old uh, Abu Mazan 
uh, you know, uh, dictator that refuses to allow an election or any sort of freedom whatsoever, um, which is causing the, the, the new wave of, of uh, Palestinian anger, in your opinion? There's, there's a number of factors. First of all, what you mentioned, the fact that Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, is old and everybody anticipates that one day he might die or, <laughs> or somehow uh, disappear from the and there's no clear air so there's an you know everybody's jockeying for position uh to to, to inherit the throne and uh, lately abbas started to give uh, the, the, the leadership to Al-Sheikh, who is um, very close to him, and he thinks that he will be there, but there, look, I mean, this is not going to be determined by uh, Georgia-style vote, <laughs> um, or like by uh, American primary-style vote, or even Israeli-style vote. Right. It's going to be determined most likely, regrettably, in the streets, in, in, in a lot of uh, shootings. So now that is a major factor in it, is that everybody is jockeying for position and it's still, it still remains a, a, a winning card that, you know, that we are better at resisting the Israelis than you are. So that's one factor. The other factor is the big elephant in the Middle East room, which is Iran. You know, they've been uh, training all these factions, Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, the, the, the Houthis in Yemen, uh, and so on and so forth. In the, in the Palestinian areas, obviously, they have... Uh, uh, the Islamic, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and and increasingly Hamas, which used to be closer to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a Sunni um, group, and now is like uh, I mean, the, in the last week or so, the Hamas leaders have shown up all of a sudden in Damascus, uh, making buddies with uh, Assad after years of of. You know, they were expelled from Damascus uh, in the beginning of the civil war because of their stance against Assad. And now they're best buddies. And Assad is a satrap, uh, you know, puppet of, of Iran. So you have more and more Iranian um, attempts to arm Palestinian factions right. and to goad them into what the Iranians call resistance, right. which is, uh, you know, a lot of okay. in a lot of cases, it's terrorism. You mentioned something just now, which I really wanted to talk to you about. So I'm glad you brought it up, which was Hezbollah and and Lebanon. Um, I was shocked, and I, I don't know how many listeners really are, know about this, but Israel just signed a gas development deal brokered by the United States with Lebanon to develop a gas field in disputed uh, waters off the coast of Lebanon and Israel. Each one was threatening the other that they were going to blow it up if uh, anybody tried to develop it without their approval. Um, obviously, we both know that Hezbollah is the guiding force in Lebanon, both militarily and politically. They call the shots. Everybody else is too, um, too, too, too brokered into factions to, to resist them. So this, is, this was allowed. Um, yes, this speculation is because Lebanon is collapsing, so Hezbollah had to do this because you know if the place collapses, who wants to collapse? Who wants to rule a collapsed third world state? But regardless of the reason, 
this is a shocking turn of events that the source of resistance, Hezbollah, Lebanon, has now signed an agreement with the state of Israel. Doesn't that even further isolate the Palestinians? Isn't that even more crazy and difficult to wake up in the West Bank and, or in Gaza and read in the paper that you know, one of the states that was the arch enemy of Israel uh, has now signed an agreement to develop a gas field together? Well, first of all, just to, to start with, I'm less enamored with that agreement that, uh, than a lot of people are. And it hasn't been signed. It's going to be signed tomorrow, not oh. with a handshake between the Israelis and the Lebanese, because the Lebanese have announced <laughs> that they're not going to participate in any event with the Israelis. But it's okay. going to be signed with the UN. And let's go a little bit into what actually happened with this agreement. Uh, we have to go a little bit into the, the weeds here, but I'll try to make it simple. This area, supposedly in dispute, has been dormant for many years. Many years ago, Israel has uh, demarcated its exclusive economic zone in the uh, northern Mediterranean, which was a straight line from Rosh Hashanikra, which is the Israeli west, north, northwest most point uh, on the Lebanese border, straight down the middle the, the, the uh, Mediterranean. And Israel filed that line with the UN. Shortly after, the Lebanese filed another line, which went diagonal a little uh, further south uh, and filed that with the UN. Then Israel found gas right. in many parts of the Mediterranean, including in the northern post, northernmost post in that they found gas was in a field called Karish which is um, within both of those lines, both the Lebanese line and the Israeli line. Now, after that uh, rig started being, up, was close to being operational, uh, the Lebanese all of a sudden announced that they have another line, which is below that, uh, below Karish. Okay? But they didn't file it with anyone. They didn't file it with the UN. They didn't, they didn't make it official. They just made announced it. So um, uh, the previous administrations, both during the Obama administration and the Trump administration, tried to negotiate those lines uh, and come to an agreement. And um, once the Lebanese started uh, saying that they have a new line, the Americans said, okay, you either go back to the line that we're talking about or not, or, or we are walking off. And indeed, they walked off. Then the Biden administration start, started sending Amos Hochstein, who is a, a, his senior advisor in um, energy, uh, to, negotiate that, to negotiate anew. So what happened in the end is that the the Lebanese said, you know what, the line that we said in the end, that, that line that goes further south, ah, we're willing to compromise with that and go back to the actual line that they filed with the UN, which was the only line to file. And I, Amos Hoxton said, all right, and gave them their line. It wasn't a compromise between the Israeli or original line and the Lebanese original line. The compromise was just that the Lebanese gave up on their outrageous right. line that nobody recognized. <laughs> so that's the first thing. That's, that was the compromise. What led to the compromise was the fact that Hezbollah kept saying that uh, if 
there's no agreement based on our want, on our demands, we'll bomb Korea. Right, we're going to blow it up, right. Mm-hmm. And not only they said that, but they tried, they sent uh, uh, drones over a couple of months ago and all that. So basically, everybody gave up according to Hezbollah's demand. And so Hezbollah got what they wanted. They wanted uh, to have the complete area that includes a, a potential gas field uh, called Kana, um, which, uh, according to the Israeli line, was in between those two. You know, Israel had half of it, and, and right. or a little less than half, and, and Lebanon had um, most of it. So now the entire... Um, uh, the Kana field is within the Palestinian EEZ, economic, um, the economic zone. And so they can start uh, extracting gas from there through a French company, Total. Uh, bottom line is that the Lebanese got all they wanted from that deal. They did not agree at all to anything that would indicate that the agreement was with Israel. Their agreement was with the Americans and that in return, they got what they want. There's some kind of compensation that is yet to be fully worked out between Total and Israel and not between Lebanon and Israel, that Israel will be compensated for the loss of uh, the potential gas from Anna, which we so don't even know if it exists. Why would Israel agree to a bad deal like this? These, these wily negotiators, the, the strong army, the all-coast military they have, right-wing leadership, and et cetera, et cetera. Why would they agree to something that doesn't make sense or in their own interest? Well, first of all, it's not the right-wing leadership. It was agreed by uh, uh, Yair Lapid, who is centrist, uh, uh, definitely not right-wing. He's I like heard that both. this is the exact same deal that Netanyahu had already agreed to. Exactly. But I was going to say that. Well, Netanyahu hasn't agreed to it, but I mean, he would have agreed to it in my view. But the, the, the issue in Israel is always how to uh, maintain the, uh, security for the short run. The long run, we will see. <laughs> so there was a threat. There was a a potential uh, uh, threat that could lead to actual hot war with Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Israelis didn't want that. Okay. So they kicked the can down the road, which they always do. And right. uh, yeah, it's, it's sensible because eventually there will be a war with Hezbollah. The question is on whose terms. Right. And for now, they don't want on the eve of election. There's a lot of reasons why you need to kick the can down the road. And also the, the top reason, obviously, is that there's, you know, 60,000 missiles uh, directed at Israel from Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, and as uh, the, the, yep. the great playwright Anton Chekhov once said, once there's a, a pistol hang on the wall in the first act. The first act. <laughs> shoot in the last, in the third. So, I I, so they're kicking more. the can down the road and rightly so. Meanwhile, they can start uh, uh, doing Dr- drilling uh, for gas. Drilling for drilling in Karish, which is the smaller fields of, of, of the three major fields that they have. P.S. Speaking of that, um, wait, before we go there, 
So, so it's now presented as if, oh, it gives Lebanon a, an opportunity, an economic opportunity, which will make Hezbollah less dominant. I don't see that. I think the economic opportunity, if it ever happens, because we don't know how much gas there is in Kana, but the, the, if there is gas in there and the money, you know, the money in Lebanon goes to either in, uh, ultra corrupt uh, politicians <laughs> or mostly to Hezbollah. Right. So Hezbollah gets the money in the right. um, so, and, you know, people are presenting it as if it's, you know, semi-Abraham uh, Accord kind of thing. It's not. I mean, there's no way. That, that, I'm so that, glad we're doing this podcast. Thank you. So this is like, it sounds like a mafia shakedown that the Israelis agreed to, you know, not make a big deal out of the fact that you could distribute the beer on the south side of Chicago. You know, <laughs> it's like... We don't want any trouble right now. Maybe you know. Well, it's not that it's not that extreme. I mean, okay. uh, Israel has some benefits from it, but but the bottom line is, I don't think you know. It, you know, there's an election in Israel, right? Yes, I do. Oh I'll God. be there for in that November one. Yes. So, uh -huh. uh, so you know, Bibi has made the big deal out of it in the beginning, yeah, yeah. and this right. and that. But I, I believe that Bibi would have signed the exact same deal. I mean, the Americans were insistent. Yeah, right. which is another factor here. I mean, it was at that Biden, the Biden administration today, Biden hosted uh, the Israeli president Herzog yep. in the White House. And, and one of the things he talked about is tomorrow we're going to sign a deal, which is a major benefit for Israel and the, and the region and the world <laughs> and, and the entire world is going to have peace. Um, uh, you know, I mean, for the for Biden, it's a, a small victory in the Middle East, which he doesn't have too many of. Right. Well, there aren't too many victories in the Middle East, and those who claim that there are, you know, usually reverse the next day. Well, the I, Abraham Accords were a major victory, I would say, but they they were, but they were also a long time in the making. I mean, all my Israeli friends tell me that they had been trading with the UAE, they had contacts with the USE, UAE, of course, but they are but deals with the UAE security deals. Side, they were doing software deals. They look, were a major a major breakthrough in the Middle East would be if Saudi Arabia yes. would join the Aram Accord. Yes, it would be. Uh, That's I don't think. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, okay. it, it, I think that the the way it's going. First of all, I don't think the Abraham Accords would have happened as far as the, the, the Gulf states are concerned, uh, it, unless the Saudi Arabia gave the green light. For Agreed. Them. And I think that what is going on in Saudi Arabia is when it comes to that, uh, the, the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, uh, would sign the deal uh, tomorrow morning if, if it wasn't for his father. Either way, um, the Saudis will sign once uh, uh, King Salman dies and his son takes the throne. That is unless the current rift between uh, Biden and, and, and Saudi Arabia, which in my opinion started by Biden and not by the Saudis, but anyway, but they, if, unless the current rift is somehow uh, being uh, repaired. My column today is about that. Uh, anyone wants to read the New York Sun today, welcome.
It's, uh, I think, an, an interesting column about the relations between the Saudis and the U.S. Where does, I, I really want to know, where does this leave Palestinians in the West Bank? Forget Hamas and Gaza. That's another story we could talk about for another 40 hours sometime. But the, the, here we have, you know, the, quote, occupation. We have, you know, constant ferment in the West Bank. But also, I don't want listeners to think that the West Bank is nothing but a bunch of gun-toting militants running around uh, trying to trying to uh, you know, stab settlers. I mean, anybody who's been to the West Bank knows it's quite an affluent place. The houses are really remarkably uh, attractive. They're very large by even uh, by, by world standards. Uh, you know, lots of people have lots of really nice cars and clothes and uh, they eat out in restaurants and, you know, they conduct businesses. And I mean, it's a thriving, it's a thriving place. By no means is, is it a, a backwater of, uh, of economic or a personal um, despair. It just isn't. Uh, if you, you know, even the city of Hebron, which I've, I had the good fortune of visiting with my uh, Palestinian friends, is is a remarkably, you know, dynamic city. I mean, it's it's full of vitality, life, and and and, and people running around uh, doing uh, doing their chores and bettering their lives. So, you know, while that is going on, where does this leave them politically? Well, that's the problem. The problem is not so much the Palestinian people, which, as you say, are I think some of the most educated in the Middle East, also um, being living so prox in such proximity to Israel and watching what Israel is doing, I think they have the potential to to actually one day actually build a very thriving uh, political society as well. But as yet, they're still ruled by revolutionary uh, fanatics. I mean, let's face it, Abbas grew up, his, his education was received in Moscow University during the Soviet time. He was, he wrote his thesis about, uh, you know, that was as close as possible to Holocaust denying. And, and he's, entire life was dedicated to a revolutionary fight against Israel. Uh, that was, uh, I, in my view, the zeal and, and the, the ideology were instilled by the Soviets during the Cold War as part of the Cold War. But, um, you know, he, even his deputies who are younger and, and all that, you know, they grew up in this environment, the first intifada, the second intifada, and so on and so forth. The leadership is what you were saying before, which is gun-toting. Um, you know, look what's going on in, in Nablus and Janine. Exactly. Right now. I mean, there's, they, they are trying to send, these, these are uh, again, Iranian-inspired groups that are trying to, to send terrorists into Israel and against the Israelis everywhere. And uh, currently, Nablus is under yep. uh, Israeli curfew for, for two weeks almost now because yep. of this one group called the Lion's Den, yeah. Uh, yeah. which which is... Uh, you know, yet another Palestinian group that is joining the, the alphabet soup of, of terrorist organization. And, and one reason why Israelis are so 
you mentioned that before, no, Israelis are very happy about the idea of a Palestinian state these days. One of the reasons is exactly what we were talking about before, which is Gaza, you know? Yeah, know. When Israel left Gaza, the whole idea was Gaza first and then the West Bank, and they actually evacuated two West Bank um, yep. settlements at the time just to as, as a uh, down payment. And, you know, and, and the, the, the idea was that this was going to, as you said, Singapore on the Mediterranean. And instead, uh, they, they got a lot of uh, uh, missiles falling down in Tel Aviv. So, uh, you know, that the, the thought that once the West Bank will, will, uh, will gain, you know, a state that the outcome would be different than what happened in Gaza. Uh, not too many Israelis are buying it. They're not going to make that. Israel is not going to make that same mistake twice. Right. And if there is tomorrow, if there's a, an election in Gaza, you know, because there's, as you remember, uh, Abbas was elected, uh, yep. you know, uh, for four years term and he's in his, what, 18 year now? Yeah, um, state of emergency. You know, yeah, and and for every few years he would say he was saying, "Oh, we're preparing the next election. They're coming around the corner," and somehow it was always canceled. If there's an election tomorrow in in the West Bank, I'm fairly sure that Hamas and those factions will win over the Abbas faction. Really? So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody anybody believes that otherwise. I mean, wow. it's very hard. Why? Because they, they have better organization. They 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 are less uh, divided. They have that image that they are fighting rather than compromising with Israel. But it's been nothing but destruction. I mean, that just what we're talking about, though. The the West Bank is a is a prosperous, relatively prosperous place. Gaza is a cesspool of, of destruction and despair. How could anybody? In their right mind, look at look at what Hamas has done in 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 in, in Gaza, and and vote that in, in to, to the West Bank. I mean, you would destroy the entire infrastructure of the West Bank, the affluence, the 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 freedoms, the prosperity would disappear overnight. People in Nablus today, as I said, are under uh, Israeli curfew because of the terrorist attacks against Israel. Yep. And because of the Israel, the IDF is fighting against the, the, that new Lion Den group. Um, and they are praying, they, they are saying in, in uh, uh, social media and in the press that well, why is it that uh, Gaza is not shooting missiles at Israel as, right. as as right. response right so that's why i mean part of the problem is that there is obviously that the, the education system in the west bank which um teaches you a little bit of math and english but a lot of the occupation and and colonialism and and um the worse than the nazis kind of stuff so you know i mean when you when you grow up with that right so you're portraying uh, to, to kind of sum up and wrap up. You're you're portraying this as like the situation for the Palestinians in both Gaza and the West Bank is going to be this constant um, struggle with Israel, uh, constant war, constant rockets, constant repression, constant military action uh, and police action. While at the same time, all these billionaire high tech Israelis are going to be flying to Dubai. 
uh, to cement deals for you know cybersecurity and weapons programs and you know and also and medical technology and uh, all these other you know technologies that the Israelis are so advanced in. Um, they're just going to fly over Janin and fly over uh, Nablus and you know kind of like well, that's too bad that that's going on. I guess much the same way that like some of the inner cities in America are, you know, totally violent, dangerous places where, you know, young people are shot on a, on a nightly, daily basis. But, you know, 25 miles away, people are, you know, living in, uh, in you know, 7,000 square foot mansions and, and having, you know, $70 entrees. Is, I mean, is that the world you're, is that how we're going to be looking at this? Just well, a complete bifurcated mean- world? I mean, again, uh, in the Middle East, nothing is etched in stone. Uh, I I think that in the long run, uh, they will look at what uh, the UAE and oh, Morocco have gained from having good ties with Israel, uh, maybe. And but I mean, for now. I can't see it in the short run because okay. I think that for now the situation is as bleak as you as you portray it. You know, again, in the Middle East you kick the can down the road. You yeah. don't solve problems. You just hope for the best and and live for to 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 tell about it another day. Thanks, Benny. Thank you so much. Really enlightening. I really would like to do another podcast and talk about the Saudi Arabian and your and your column in the U.S. relationship. Let's schedule that for the very near future. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, ootbwithjrusso. Listeners, believe it or not, we're on Instagram. Only about 15 years too late, but better late than never. Please follow us at OOTB with Jay Russo on Instagram. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.